an ancient Mayan proverb. Don't talk in circles. Tell the truth. Hello, welcome back. This is the Past for Plebs, episode number seven. As always, I'm your host, Sean. As you know, we've been exploring ancient Mesoamerica together for the past few weeks, and we are not stopping just yet. Last week, we explored the ancient city of Teotihuacan in Mexico, and the week before that, we talked about the ancient Olmec civilization. This week, we're traveling to a new area in Mexico in order to discuss the ancient Maya civilization. There's a lot to cover when talking about the Maya, which is why I've had to actually dedicate two episodes to this. Without further delay, let's uncover the ancient past of this impressive civilization. Alright, so let's begin with some background information about the Maya. Remember, when I study a topic, I like to go over the big questions first. Uh, and I usually like to start with the when and the where. The Maya are located where? In the Yucatan Peninsula in the modern nation of Mexico. Um, this is probably, I would say this is probably the most iconic group in all of Mexico. Uh, probably the Maya and the Aztecs, you know, those two kind of take the claim, the claim to fame there. Um, but also, I mean, the Yucatan Peninsula is probably most known by Americans because if you go to Mexico on vacation, you're most likely going there. The tropical beaches, Cancun is there, they have the nice Mayan ruins, the jungle. So this is like what you picture, like a very Caribbean type setting, very tropical. Yeah, just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Now, I do need to pause here though, because we got to emphasize, we got to clear some things up about the, the Maya. While we're talking about the ancient civilization, it is still important to remember that the Maya people are still living there in Mexico today. Um, it's not like they disappeared. In fact, that's true about most Native American groups in Mesoamerica. Um, and this is really a big difference between um, like the Spanish Empire, which we are going to eventually talk about, and the difference between like the English colonies, the English or British Empire in North America. Two very different policies and how they engage with Native Americans. So yes, in fact, the Maya are still there today. But not only are they there today, but it's important to kind of differentiate between the historical Maya groups that we're going to be talking about and then this like unified cultural identity of the Maya today. So the Maya today are a group of anyone living in the Yucatan who is ethnically Mayan, and they basically see themselves as this united identity, this big group. In the past, that was not the case. Instead, historians have actually adopted that term, and then we place the identity on the people of Mesoamerica back a thousand years ago, or 1500 years ago. And this helps just to group because they have this like cultural similarities with with each other they share the same languages they share the same basic types of things like in their cities they have the same art the same cultural style um this now i i want to make a comparison here it's a very eurocentric comparison um but i'm going to do it anyway this is very similar to maybe the idea of the city-state structure of ancient greece so the greeks in ancient greece 
we're usually more likely to identify with their particular city rather than the fact that they are Greek, right? We think of Greece today as like this, oh, they all speak Greek, they are Greek, they're united. But the truth is, is that they're not. The same is true for the Maya. So the Maya, the ancient Maya, would probably more likely identify with their particular city um, that they're talking about. So there's a lot of real similarities there, which is really cool. In fact, all the civilizations we've learned about up until this point have really been isolated politically. Um, the Olmec, for example, right? We talk about the Olmec as a group, but they're really not a group. They're not, they're, they're not the same. Um, they have similar styles culturally and things like that, but the reality is each settlement was probably on its own. It was separate. They traded with each other, but that's really it. There's no like large empire or anything like that. Same with Teotihuacan. It's really just one city. Um, it, I mean, Teotihuacan, as we, as we may have mentioned, um, it had military function. It had an army. I mean, it, it did do things. You know, it had its own military and it was able to go and conquer places. But it's not like it's not like these places were ruling a very large empire. And there's not this united, larger like country. Um, this is really important, especially because eventually we're going to talk about the Aztec civilization which shows up much later. And there, there is this empire. The Aztecs have an empire. There's a sense of unity within the empire. Um, we'll talk a little more about that. We'll get into more detail when we get there. But I felt like I needed to make that distinction. So the, the ancient Maya were not united. So we got the where, but now let's talk about the when. I just mentioned the word ancient. So how ancient are we talking? Generally, when we talk about the classical Maya period, um, we're talking about anything from about 200 BCE until really we see the decline in like the 9th and the 10th centuries um, CE. So we're talking about a good thousand, thousand plus years of um, just classical, the classical period. The earliest evidence that we have for like cities and stuff is maybe 700 BCE. Um, but the Maya we know and love, that really takes a few hundred years for them to kind of kick things off. So within this range of dates, we have some serious power shifting, right? So there's a lot of different cities in the area. And depending on the time period within that time period, we're going to find that some cities were more powerful than others. Now, this is a pretty good point to mention that there were, in fact, smaller like Maya empires or like kingdoms that would emerge within the groups. So, for example, like Kalakmul was a really big city. And I know the rival of Kalakmul was like Tikal. So these two cities and many more, there were points where they did actually lord over other cities that maybe they conquered in, in their wars. And so then we would see a little bit of like a small kind of empire emerging. Um, just like Chichen Itza later is going to kind of be more prominent towards the end of the Mayan civilization. So there's eras within and you are going to see some some lordship over other places. So let's just kind of back up a little bit. Um, the Maya are super famous, but like why, right? What's, what's so great about the Maya? Well, to start, we are actually very lucky because so far, all the cultures we've talked about in the last two episodes, they've had written languages, but we cannot read them. We don't know how to understand what is written. The Olmec, we just can't read their writing. And the same with Teotihuacan. We don't know what language it is, and we don't know what the characters mean. However, since the 1960s, 
we have been very lucky to now be able to read and understand the Maya language. So we have cracked the code. And, and when I say we, a lot of times I say like we, by the way, I'm talking about like humanity. I'm talking about historians, archaeologists, linguists. We've all worked together uh, internationally and we've been able to crack the code to the Mayan language. So I want to talk a little bit about that story. How did we kind of get to um, get to access the language? The Mayan civilization does end up collapsing in the 9th century. So our story kind of starts there with the Mayan language, which is kind of interesting. We're starting at the end. And what happens is, as far as we know, the Maya people seem to just leave their cities. They displace, they move somewhere else. Again, they're not disappearing, but they move away from these big cities that they built. And this is a this is a big debated topic. We we still aren't sure exactly why they do this. Um, there are some big theories. I think one of the leading ones is like drought or famine. Um, it could be it could have been a climate issue, but that combined with um, maybe the loss of just like a general faith in their religious system, their political system. You know, uh, they weren't pulling through with the crops, so you know why stick around. Again, there's not really a lot of evidence to support this. A lot of times when a civilization declines, they don't write about it because they got more pressing things to get to, right? Writing down a little journal entry or writing down in, a, in, a, in you know, some, whatever form they're doing is not their priority. They're trying to survive. And so we end up not really knowing why a lot of, a lot of civilizations decline. But in the end, we do know that they, that they decline. Now, after this happens, the Maya actually, after a few generations, they lose the ability to read and write their own language. By the time the Spanish arrive into the New World, so this is hundreds of years later, in the 16th century, so 1500s, the Maya living in the area, they don't even know who built the cities around them in the jungles. They don't even know who built the pyramids and the structures. Um, when the Spaniards ask them, hey, who built these, like, big temples and the ancient cities and stuff. The Maya themselves are like, hey, we actually have no idea. They've just always been here. And so that's really interesting. Um, and this happens a lot in history. When a culture declines and like it gets replaced by like this new way of life, very rarely does a language survive. Um, I mean, even languages, they, they change all the time. They don't usually survive in the same form for longer than a few hundred years. And even that is being generous. Now, in this case, we're talking about a language that just completely almost dies off, um, and then it changes into the vernacular Maya languages that we know today. Now, this is really interesting because the same kind of thing happens in ancient Egypt. So after the Egyptians are, you know, eventually conquered by Rome, and then over time, um, you have Arab groups that conquer Egypt— the Egyptian hieroglyphs and the way to read those hieroglyphs is kind of lost. It's lost knowledge. So by the time the European archaeologists arrived in Egypt in like the 1800s, and they're like, hey, like, what do these, uh, these temples say? And all the words and stuff, all the characters and hieroglyphs. The people living in Egypt, they all spoke Arabic. They, they're like, we, we don't know. We have no idea. What, what are you talking about? Um, so that's, that's something that's very similar with the Maya. So our journey to decipher these hieroglyphs was a really long one. Um, the Spanish are the first that show up and they're like, all right, well, there's all these writing things on here. There's all these like images. 
is this a language? Because obviously the Spaniards are speaking Spanish. And so they're trying to make sense of this. So they're, they, they talk with the Maya that live there and they try and, they try and figure out the language. Um, during the colonization of Mesoamerica, we have to keep in mind that there's a lot of different types of people that traveled to the New World from Europe. Um, I mean, you have the conquistadors who are probably the most famous or infamous, I should say. So they're busy conquering and, and fighting wars. But you also have Catholic missionaries who are kind of waging a spiritual war, right? They're going to uh, convert the people. And one of the ways to do that is to spread the religion in the language of the group that you're dealing with. So actually what's really interesting is Christ Christian missionaries are, it becomes common for them to actually write down for the first time the local languages in a more Latin script um, so that they could then understand it. And then, they, and then in many cases they would... Uh, much later groups, they would actually write it maybe like a Bible in the language uh, of the, the local group. It's kind of a double-edged sword here. We got to thank him for writing it down, but he's also he's also kind of destroying a lot of Mayan art and literature. He probably destroys more than he saves, so it's kind of like, all right, you know, that sucks. Um, but he does end up writing down the Mayan language the best he can, or at least the best that he does, which is not actually that great. So his name is Diego de Landa. And so he's in the Yucatan. He is a priest, a Catholic priest. And he basically talks with the Maya and he tries to record it down. So he, show, he draws the hieroglyphs and then he writes the word next to it, like how you would pronounce it. The problem is, is that most of what he wrote down was just 100% wrong. Like, it, like the meanings don't match up. It doesn't make sense. Most of the sounds barely make sense. But he did... One of the things that we're very lucky is that he was able to save um, the sounds of some of the some of the characters of the Mayan language. Um, if if I haven't mentioned before already, I, I really wish I had a visual episode here. But the Mayan language is hieroglyphs. It's hieroglyphic, so it's symbols. Um, it, it's artwork, right? So it's it's tricky. I mean, and that's where that comparison to Egyptian hieroglyphs is, right? I think we've all seen Egyptian hieroglyphs in our mind. So that's kind of like, it's very similar. Um, mostly written in stone or carved in stone. And so that's really what we're dealing with. Um, now this is extremely helpful. So Diego recorded the sounds in his books and later archeologists were able to then take this as a starting point because they were able to look at the Spanish sounds, the way the Maya would sound the language. And then they were able to kind of piece together um, and, and kind of reverse engineer what the language actually is. And this takes a long timing. We're talking almost 100, 200 years of back-to-back -back work and building off of other scholarship in order to try and translate this language. Eventually, by the 1960s, we've done it. A Russian linguist uh, by the name of Yuri uh, Konarazov, I believe. My Russian is pretty terrible, so hopefully, you know, I, I didn't butcher that too much. But Yuri, he's the guy who cracks the code. For the first time in a thousand years, we're talking the 60s, we are finally able to read the writings left behind by the Mayan kings. And this is really interesting because like me growing up as a kid, I learned about the Maya in school. Um, just a little bit, you know, the basics like, oh yeah, you know, kind of what I'm doing here, like just the basics of who the Maya were. And I did not realize that... That was brand new stuff. I mean, I went I went to middle school in like the early 2000s. 
So that was like 30 years before we were cracking the code. So all the Maya information that we are that is now being taught in public school is thanks to these historians and these linguists who were able to crack the code. And now we have so much information. And let me tell you, boy, did the Maya have some stories to tell. Now, most of the information we have comes from Maya stele. Um, stele are these like m giant monolithic stones. And when I say monolithic, I really just mean like this one big stone that is carved. Um, and it usually has like artwork carved into them. Some of the, some of them are actually just like carved figures, um, with symbols on them. Um, but we're talking, there, there are hundreds of these located in, you know, several different cities uh, across the Yucatan. So another very interesting thing is the location of these cities. Um, many Mayan settlements are hidden well within the jungles. And if you do ever get the chance to travel to see these places, you're going to see that they are covered with giant trees, um, other vegetation. The jungles are really like reclaiming a lot of these places. Um, thankfully, you know, Mexico has been doing a really great job and archaeologists are preserving these sites, which is, which is nice. Um, but most of the Maya culture, the things that we see are continuations from the earlier civilizations to the hieroglyphic writing styles. The Maya have that same type of style as maybe the Olmec before them. Um, of course, the language is different. Uh, it's, not, it's not like now that we can read Maya, oh, we can also read Olmec. It's, it's different enough to where, where it's, it doesn't translate well. Um, and so there's influence there, but it's not the same. Um, we also mentioned, obviously, the pyramids, right? We know about those two giant pyramids at Teotihuacan, which we talked about in last episode, the Pyramid of the Sun and the Moon. We find many pyramids in all different Maya cities. There are some differences between these pyramids. Um, the big thing is, well, the large thing is the two at Teotihuacan are massive. Um, when compared to the Maya ones, they are much smaller. Um, there is the famous one at Chichen Itza, and that is probably the most well-known um, pyramid, but there are many others, and some of them are smaller, some of them are much more narrow and more steep, so they're angled at a much more steep angle. Um, those are the big difference. Those are the big differences when we talk about pyramids of the Maya. There's a lot more that we still have to go into, and we've really only just scratched the surface. Um, and so, next week, tune back in for the second half of this podcast episode, because we're going to uncover more exciting history about the Mesoamerican culture. Don't forget to give us a like and subscribe for future podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Sean, and remember, it's okay to be stuck in the past.